0: Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Use the code the autism dad at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the tantrums and meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer. So act now. Hey, what's up folks? Uh, my name is Rob Gorski and you're listening to the autism dad podcast. Um, today's episode is, is very special to me for a number of reasons, but, um, just a little bit of, of, of background first. Um, I have never served in the military, but I have multiple family members who have. Uh, both my grandfathers uh, served in the war, and uh, those of you who follow my story know that I lost my grandfather uh, about a year ago, and that's that has been very difficult. Um, the last few months that I spent with him, uh, he, he talked a lot about his time in the Marines um, we talked about some of the places that he had been deployed to a lot of the experiences that he had um, some of the trouble that he got into. (laughs) And, and it was, it was, it was something he was very, very proud of in a way of, of sort of honoring his memory and, and, and learning things myself. I wanted to connect with uh, military families uh, who are also raising kids with autism and, Uh, I don't know anything about that. I I know some of the challenges that are associated with raising autistic kids. Uh, I do that every day. But I I have no idea what it's like to be a military family and and trying to navigate all those challenges. And so my guest today uh, is is Joshua Gibbs. Um, He has been in the Marine Corps for 22 years. He was deployed twice to Iraq. He has numerous accommodations Uh, over his career. And he is also an autism dad. And I'm honored to have Josh come on the show and help me better understand what it's like to be a military family who is raising a child with autism. Um, You know, when you're in the military, uh, insurance works differently, healthcare works differently uh, than it does for the rest of us. So what I I wanted to sort of uh, shine a light on that and and just learn about uh Josh's life and and maybe help uh help the rest of you learn how we can better support our military families in general but also our military families who are raising kids with autism. So uh I, I again I'm honored to have Josh on the show. Um I'll bring him on uh right after this commercial break, so please stay tuned, we'll be right back. Autism Dead is brought to you by Mightier. Mightier is an amazing program out of Harvard Medical and Boston Children's that utilizes video games in a wrist strap heart rate monitor to teach your kids to emotionally self regulate. So, if you are an autism parent like I am, that means fewer meltdowns. Fewer meltdowns means reduced parental stress and improved quality of life for your entire family. Uh, I've been using it with my son for over a year. It's absolutely fantastic. The games are fun, they're engaging. He loves it. Uh, doesn't even realize that he's learning while he's doing it, and then he naturally applies it to the rest of his life. It's basically biofeedback for kids, so it does work for any child. Uh, But due to the nature of of autism, kids on the spectrum tend to have a more difficult time with emotional self-regulation, and so Mightier has a a very profound impact on that. So if you want more information, including how to get a free 30-day trial, visit theautismdad.com forward slash Mightier. That's theautismdad.com forward slash (laughs) Mightier. Uh and we're back. And and today I am honored to be speaking with uh Josh Gibbs. He is an active duty Marine and also an autism dad. And, and um we had connected on Twitter recently, and you know, he, he wanted to bring the perspective of, of you know autism parenting and, and stuff from from the perspective of of active duty military or just military in general. And I'd never thought about it like that. And and that's a really important topic to discuss. And, and so, Josh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on the show. I, I'm very grateful for your service to our country, um, first and foremost, obviously. Uh, could you just take a, a few minutes and, and sort of um, help us get to know you a little bit?
1: Absolutely. And, and thank you as well, Rob. I really appreciate that. I sincerely do. It's always kind of a weird thing, especially for a military, when people say thank you for your service, thank you this. And for so many of us, it, it's our job. And it can be a little awkward at times, especially in recent uh, recent years with, with the swell of patriotism and stuff. But it is genuinely appreciated. So thank you. You're welcome. Uh, I, enlist, I, I enlisted in 1998 after my freshman year of college because it happened to be a reserve unit where I went to school up at Florida State University in Tallahassee, Florida. And so I was able to stay in school and also train Uh, with the Marine Corps and earn some money using the GI bill and get a a little bit of a paycheck under my belt so I could help pay for school. And then I went through, uh, applied for the officer program just before I graduated, got accepted into the officer program, went to officer candidate school. And then once I graduated, I was commissioned as a second lieutenant in, uh, ironically on September 15th, 2001 is when I was commissioned. So everything, uh, Significantly changed for all of us uh, because of of the events of 9-11, and so when I finished our formal officer training in 2002, I was immediately sent to the 1st Marine Division out in California, and I deployed uh, twice to Iraq for OIF-1 and 2 in 2003 and 2004. So that was a fun time. And then uh, continued on my career, got to live in some amazing places. I got to live in Japan. I got to travel all over the world and see a lot of cool things. I ended up uh, back in uh, in the Middle East. I went to Afghanistan. I got to go on what's called a MU, a Marine Expeditionary Unit, where you go out on a ship for seven months and got to go to Africa and, and see a bunch of things over there. So that was very interesting. And Cut to now and I find myself here in South Florida at Marine Forces South, where we watch over almost all of South America and most of the Caribbean, and it's been a fantastic career. Uh, My son, his name's Jai, he's now five years old and he was diagnosed with autism at two. At two years old, both his mother and I noticed Something was a little bit off. Uh, she is a pediatric nurse. She's been a pediatric nurse for over 15 years, so she's worked with a lot of children. She's worked with autistic children, and she just she knew something wasn't right. So she asked a friend of ours uh, who does work in neurology, and she she specializes in this uh, to come take a look at him, just a, a sort of an informal diagnosis. And she spent some time with him and said, well. It's, I can't formally diagnose anybody, but I would definitely take him to get officially tested uh, because she'd noticed some of the same things that we did. And so we took him for a diagnosis and that was, that in itself was an interesting experience about three hours with the, with the doctors and psychologists and things and kind of going in and out of of the room and interacting with him and then them interacting with him on their own. And then when they came out, they said, oh yeah, he's, he's most certainly on the spectrum these are the things we noticed at at two years old, he should be able to do X, Y, Z, but instead he can do ABC. So we need to, we need to absolutely get him into specialized uh, ABA training as soon as possible. And that's when our journey started.
0: Um, I know that a lot of people, I I, I guess we were very lucky because we had, um, let's see, my, my oldest was diagnosed in 2005. So there wasn't like that influx of, of diagnoses yet, cause it was still relatively uncommon. Um, uh-huh. and so, so like we didn't have a hard time finding, um, I guess services that helped to diagnose and even some of the early intervention stuff, a lot of that's more difficult now because there's so many kids that need it. And, and so few people who are providing it. Did you find, um, th- did you find it difficult to find services or or even, you know, a place to to get diagnosed was was that challenging, or was that is it different being in the military?
1: Initially, it was challenging, but for different reasons. It was challenging only because there were the the system is set up in somewhat of a confusing way. When you're in the military, you normally you fall under Tricare for your insurance. So everything is covered, whether that's medical, whether that's dental. So your your family, if you're active duty, you're, you're under TRICARE. Reservists have a different set of TRICARE. If you're retired military, you have a different set of TRICARE. But active duty, pretty much everything is covered no matter where you go. You can walk into any emergency room, any aftercare facility, present your military. ID. The, they will see you, treat you, and then you walk out. You never pay a bill. You never sign a bill. But basically, the government gets billed for it, and then they send you a notice saying, here, here's how much we paid to handle whatever your problem was. So the good thing is that those resources we knew were available, but finding something specific for our son was a little different because when you start dealing with your dependents, your your spouse, your children, and then especially specialized care like this, that took a little bit of researching because the military has something called the Exceptional Family Member Program. And it's an entirely separate part of TRICARE that deals just with any children who have special needs of any kind. And that runs the gamut from almost anything you can imagine. And and you really have to get your child assigned to that because they are the ones who will take care of you through that journey. So getting him assigned to that program Took the most legwork because obviously they need a formal diagnosis, they need recommendations, they need tons of corroborating information to justify that, because the ESMP program is going to pay for everything. So it's all it always comes down to who's going to pay for it. And that and that may sound a little cold and callous, especially when we're talking about our children, but that's the reality. That's mm-hmm. always the question is where does the money come from? And in this instance, it is the EFMP program. And they have plenty of money to do it, but you have to provide them with a mountain of documents and interviews and reports and recommendations and all these things, because that's going to feed into everything else, such as the IEP programs for schooling, for ABA therapies, all of that follow on stuff that, that we get to uh, help our children with their autism diagnosis.
0: How did you, as a, as a, I guess, as a dad, like, how did you handle, um, how did you handle it? You know, was it, was it difficult for you as a, as a parent?
1: It, honestly, it, it, it was not difficult in, in the way of, I thought, oh my gosh, my, my kid's life is, it's going to be so different. It's going to be so hard for him because he and I have, ever since he was born, we had a, a very unique connection. And this is something they noticed when he was diagnosed. They put, uh, his mother and I in a room, and then they said, well, here, we, we want to interact with your son. So let us interact with him, see how he answers these questions, see how he deals with when we, when we put this in front of him and ask him, Jai, can you, can you hand me the yellow ball? Those kind of basic mm-hmm. questions that they do when they're, when they're trying to determine the diagnosis. And every few minutes, he would stop what he was doing and he would get up and he would walk over to us. But he only walked over to me. Even though we were both sitting right next to each other, he would walk over to me, crawl up in my lap, and just sit there for a minute and kind of stop and then get down and go back to doing whatever he was doing. And when they were finished, and we asked them about that, they said that's a very common trait for autistic children is to latch on to one parent in particular, and that parent is sort of their safety net of and it doesn't mean they love that parent any more or less than the other. It's just they associate that parent and that environment with safety. And they said, obviously, dad, that's for you. And we noticed it as he even got older. We would go pick him up from school and he would run to me immediately right past mom, which made me feel bad because I didn't want her to think that that he was ignoring her or something like that. But it was always just everything is dad first. So she and I. We we always had that connection, and I didn't view his diagnosis as a negative. And that may be because the stigma of autism has changed so much over the years. I didn't view it as anything negative at all. I viewed it as I'm excited to see what things he can do that other kids can't do, not the other way around. I always viewed it as I think this is going to give him an advantage over children. He's going to be able to see the world and interpret things in a way that other kids can't and and hearkening back to so many other creative people who have autism whether they knew it or they were diagnosed later in life and they they could never explain where their abilities came from where their their perspective came from and then once they found out they they were autistic on on one side of the spectrum or the other then it made sense to them and when they embrace that then they can help the entire cause And they help shape the perspective that autism is not a negative. Autism doesn't have to be something that you view as making your child's life more difficult. If anything, it makes the parent's life more difficult because you have to deal with different challenges. But that's just being a parent. Mm -hmm. And that, that, that kind of thing shouldn't matter. Something I'm fond of saying is anybody can be a parent, but not everybody can be a good parent.
0: That's a really interesting... I guess I've never... I never heard it explained that way before, but that I, I like that. Um,
1: we can make T-shirts and put it on. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, you you have a, a fantastic way of looking at this. Um, and and just quickly, I, I can relate to like with your son, um, sort of latching onto you. My oldest is well, he just turned twenty on the eighteenth, which makes me feel incredibly old. Um, and, but, but cognitively he's about five years old. And so, um, ever since he was, he was little and, and he's, he was, um, I guess just, just for the sake of context, uh, I adopted him. He was my, um, my ex-wife's son from a previous marriage and I've raised him as my own since he was about a year old. And, um, You know, he, he just, he sort of bonded with me. And even to this day, when we go to therapy or we do whatever, he, he doesn't look at the person talking to him. He looks at me as he's talking to somebody else. (laughs) Like, like, Uh uh, like, like he's looking for me. It comes across as though he's looking for me to, uh, like, like prompt him what to say, or it's like rehearsed or something like that. But it's, it was explained to me the same way. Like he just, it's his safety net. It's what he, he just has always been that way. And, and, uh, you know it just i guess i feel good about it in a way that 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 i'm able to make him feel safe and that's um i guess that's at the end of the day what what matters the most um you had mentioned um uh oh uh what kind of what kind of early intervention programs did you get your son into
1: when he, when he was first diagnosed he was still attending uh I guess regular school, you call it, right? Reg- and, uh,
2: and that was yeah. when
1: we, we, yeah, and we noticed he was having a lot of issues uh, associating with other children, and, and that was even something they had told us is that well, he, he needs to be able to do certain things on his own before he can move out of the the toddler room or or in the baby room. He needs to be able, in order to go in with the bigger kids, he needs to be able to use the bathroom by himself, which he couldn't do. And we had tried potty training him. And he just, it, it wouldn't click. Nothing clicked, and we we tried almost every method imaginable, from kind of the forced potty training that some parents go with to buying him a watch that would go off every half hour, and then you take him on the potty and, and do that stuff. But nothing just stuck. And unfortunately, this and the schools they were very good. They worked with us and said, look, we'll we'll put him in there, but after have to understand it's more work for our teachers because now they have to take him to the bathroom or he was still in diapers for, for a lot longer than a boy should have been. Mm-hmm. So, so that off the bat was a challenge in, in trying to get over those hurdles. And that was a, a bit of stress because you see all these other kids progressing and it makes you wonder, well, why isn't my son progressing? And you, you, you juggle between, okay, is it just because he's this age and he's kind of just adjusting a little slower or is this, the, the autism and, and and you can fall into a trap of I think using the diagnosis sometimes as a crutch and saying that well everything he does that doesn't fall in line with everybody else is because of his diagnosis, which is something that we had to get ourselves out of even. But but that provided its own challenges until we moved to Florida and when we got him into ABA therapy, which is that that individualized one on one Uh, training. So it's not a a traditional school. And that is where he began to really succeed. And that's, I think, the biggest difference between autistic children and someone else is that they need that kind of one-on-one learning, at least for a little bit, to kind of get them off the ground. Because the improvements he's made over the last year of being in that specialized training has been exceptional.
0: How How is he doing now?
1: He's doing what he was, one of his diagnoses at first was echoalia, which I'm sure you're familiar with. And for anybody who's listening who doesn't know, echolalia just means that your child repeats. Mm-hmm. They either don't understand the question or they can't verbalize a response. So when we would ask him, even when he was three and four years old, we would say, Jai, how old are you? And he would just look at you and say, Jai, how old are you? because he didn't he didn't know how to answer or he mm-hmm. didn't understand, whereas other three and four year olds could tell you, "I'm four years old, I'm three years old and and that happened frequently that that was one of our first clues that that he wasn't interpreting the information the same way as his other children. And so the ABA therapy was able to work specifically with him on fixing that issue and and, and helping him to overcome that hurdle of the difference between a question being asked where a response is expected or something you can say where you repeat, which he still struggles with a little bit, but certainly not to the extent that he did when he was younger.
0: Does he have any, uh, comorbid diagnoses? Like my, all three of my kids are autistic and, uh, the most, well, I guess the one thing that sort of unifies them besides the autism is, um, two of the three, uh, have ADHD as well. And, Two of the three are very sensory oriented and really struggle with textures and uh, colors and loud noise and bright lights and stuff like that. And did, did uh-huh. you did, did your son experience anything like that or does he experience anything? like he that? He did.
1: He did. What loud noises don't bother him. This kid, I took him, for example, I took him to a basketball game a few days ago, and he fell asleep halfway <laughs> through. I mean, this is a basketball game. It's, it was a college basketball game, so it's loud. loud, there's lots of cheering, there's noises. Nope. Kid can fall asleep. A train could be passing by, and he'd fall asleep. So loud noises, uh, bright lights, flashing lights, those kind of things never bothered him. Dave & Buster's is his favorite place to go. He hmm. loves going, because there's there's sensory overload almost for him, and he loves bouncing back and forth between daddy let's play this game together daddy let's play this game together and that's that's our kind of weekend bonding experience sometimes if he's done well in school during the week mm-hmm. i'll check with his mom and say okay you know how did he do was he good the nights that he was staying with you was he good was he good at school and if the answer is yes okay child, do you want to go to david and buster's and his eyes just light up yes, yes yes but the one thing that that he had when he was little and still has to this day he cannot have anything on his hands he does not like to have his hands dirty, whereas a lot of, especially little boys, love to get dirty with mud or finger paints or anything like that. Guy does not like anything to be on his hands. He'll, he gets very, very nervous mm-hmm. if something is put on his hands that he doesn't like or he can't get off right away. So whether it's paint or sand or or really just anything, and and that was something from when he was very little. Uh, In addition to not making eye contact, that was something that we had to work with a lot. And that was actually our first indicator that something may have been a little off. He never made eye contact as he learned to speak. And he would always just either look away or look around the room. And then he would do a lot of stimming by himself. We would just catch him standing in one place and either moving around in a circle, staring at a focus point on the floor or a focus point on the wall and moving around or staring at his own hands and kind of opening and closing them, th- those kinds of traditional other stimming things that you mm-hmm. notice in autistic children. And so we when all of those were mixed together, that's when we, we decided to go get him tested when we first noticed them. And he still does some of that to this day, but the ABA therapy works with us as well. They don't just work with Jai. We sit down with them every few months, and say these were his goals. this is what we're going to work on next, and then they' say, okay, Mom and Dad, here's your homework. These are the things we want you to work on with him at home, such as writing his name or cutting these things out in a circle and one of the reasons they or one of the things they used to solve the eye issue was the the looking eyes and Any time we speak with him, if he's not looking at you, you say looking eyes, and then he makes eye contact with you, and you make sure he maintains that through the conversation.
0: He he sounds. You know, when you're going over this, I keep getting it, it brings up a lot of memories from my youngest, uh, especially because mm. um, when you would say like loud noise didn't bother him, my youngest uh, was nonverbal until he was about four years old. Uh, they actually it, we believed that he was he was deaf because he failed his hearing screenings, and you could come up behind him with with like symbols or something and crash him behind him, and he wouldn't react. And you couldn't startle him, or he wouldn't—he wouldn't look to noise or anything like that. And So we we thought he was deaf. So we were learning sign language, and they were running through all the tests to formally diagnose him. And uh, they did uh, the ABR, where they put—they sedate them, put them, put electrodes on their head, and they measure sound waves uh, to see if your mm-hmm. brain is actually processing the sound. And it was, and and they were like, "Oh, well, he's probably autistic," <laughs> and like like just so matter mm-hmm. of fact. And uh, so that it, we ended up going down that road. But he, when you said your son doesn't like things on his hands, I, I have so many memories of Emmett, like just standing there w- with his fingers sp- like spread out, like because there was like dirt or if he would fall while he was walking and his and his hands touched the ground, <laughs> he would, he would mm-hmm. just, he just couldn't, he, he just couldn't process that. It, it, it would always freak him out. And uh, when he was about, I guess when he was about five years old, uh, we wanted to, we got him, a, a boxer puppy, uh, because we were, it wasn't going to be like an official service dog, but more of like an emotional support, uh, thing because he wasn't really connecting with anyone. And, you know, the dog actually brought him out of his shell. He, he started talking, uh, like he'd been talking his entire life. I mean, we're talking like full conversations just out of nowhere, which is really weird. Because we are used to him not saying anything at all, and then all of a sudden you're having almost grown up conversations with him, it's, it's really kind of, it's really kind of odd. But there are so many commonalities, I think, between, uh, you know, what people go through considering how, how different every kid with autism is. Um, it's just, it's just kind of interesting to hear some of the similarities, uh you know, what What you went through versus what I was going through.
1: The the hearing thing you mentioned was something that, that, that just brought back something for me is that represented one of the few times where I have been frustrated as an autism parent. And that was, as he was going through his diagnosis with the military, one of the things that they required was a hearing test. They said, we need to make sure that that all of this echoalia or all of this, he, was, he wasn't nonverbal, but, but his, his echoalia, and then he was mispronouncing a lot of simple words like yes and no, he would say with a, with a severe lisp, even though he didn't have a lisp with, in standard speech. It was just certain words he would say incorrectly. And so in order to, to weed out the fact that he may have some kind of ear problem, and that may be contributing to this, they wanted to give him a hearing test. I said, okay. Well, how are we going to do that? Because in addition to his hands, he didn't really like things on his head. He didn't like wearing hats.
2: Mm-hmm. He didn't
1: like headphones and stuff. Which he has—he has, he has removed really that. Now he loves wearing his big boy headphones <laughs> that his, and he's—he's he's getting into that where oh, these are mine. So when, when I take him when we go on a plane or something like that, he looks for those. He goes, oh, Daddy, can I have my headphones? So he can wear those, and, and he feels very proud to do that. But at first, when he was two. Then, then it's, it's not going to happen. So they said, oh, well, let's, let's bring him into the booth and let's do this. And I kept saying, no, this is not going to work. You're wasting your time. This is not going to, to go well. He's not going to accept this. I understand what you need to do for a hearing test. Number one, he's not going to wear the headphones. Number two, he doesn't understand what you're asking him to do. You're asking him to click this button every time he hears a beep. He doesn't understand that. And they kept saying, well, let's just try it. Let's just try it. And that was very frustrating where where I was trying to understand it from their perspective, but at the same time saying, I'm his parent. I completely understand that this is going to fail. It, it's not a maybe. It is guaranteed to fail. And they said, well, let's just do it anyway. Okay. So we brought him into the booth. His mom went in there with him at first. They put the headphones on. He immediately ripped them off. And she sat there and said, okay, well, let's try this. Here, dad, you sit with him. Mom, you put the headphones on and kind of hold him there. Nope. That didn't work either. Okay, well, Dad, you just go in there with him by yourself. You try to hold the headphones on there. Nope, that didn't work either. And eventually they got so fed up that they said, okay, well, now we have to move on to the next stage, which would be sedation. Mm. And that's what they ended up having to do. The same thing. They had to sedate him. And be able just to be able to do that intensive check, to check his inner ear, to make sure there were no problems with his eardrum or his cochlea or anything like that. But that was a very frustrating part as a parent not just as an autism parent, but as a parent in general, where you feel like somebody's not listening to you as if, well, it's fine, let's just do this anyway. And you're trying to tell them that, look, if this is a check in the box and you have to do it for that reason, that's one thing, but you're not presenting it to me that way. You're presenting it as you want to try this out, meaning it's not mandatory, you just want to do it. So there's a big difference between those two things. And it it was a very frustrating day because we were there for hours and hours. Waiting to get all this stuff
0: done. The autism debt is brought to you by probably genetic. Uh, if you followed our story at all over the last decade or so, you know that my oldest son, uh, Gavin um, has a lot of very rare uh, medical conditions. We have been searching for answers over the last about 15 years in order to try and find out you know, what the root cause of, of all of his ailments were. Along the way, he was diagnosed with childhood disintegrative disorder, which is a very rare form of regressive autism, uh, epilepsy, common variable immunodeficiency, which means he's basically lost his immune system, uh, Euler's Danlos, and an extremely rare autonomic disorder that has almost killed him on more than one occasion. The only test that hasn't been done was a test that would, would sequence my, my son's genes. And unfortunately, in our current healthcare system. This kind of genetic test has an extremely long waiting period, uh, upwards of a year. It's, it's most often not covered by insurance, and the costs are, are astronomical. Uh, they can reach upwards of $10,000, and that, that makes this type of desperately needed test inaccessible to families like mine. Thankfully, there is hope. Uh, probably genetic is helping me to find the answers to the questions that have long gone unanswered. Uh, Probably genetics specializes in identifying rare genetic diseases that often go undiagnosed, especially in children already diagnosed with autism, like my son. Uh, They're on a mission to make full genetic sequencing accessible to those who need it the most. They significantly reduce the cost and drastically reduce the wait time. Uh, If you have already had whole exome or whole genome sequencing done and you didn't uh, get an answer, uh, they can reanalyze your existing data. If you don't have access to the data, uh, they'll help you get it from uh, your lab free of charge. So, if you're one of the countless people out there in need of genetic testing, visit probablygenetic.com. Uh, you can use the code TheAutismDad400 at checkout and save $400 off of the genetic testing. So, that's probablygenetic.com and use the code TheAutismDad400 to save $400. You know, that's, that, that reminds me of something I had, um, I had interviewed, uh, uh, the autism, uh, healthcare collaborative up in Jersey. And, uh, it was founded by uh, Dr. Ahmed, who is an autism dad. And, and, and I've always looked at this as, as kind of two different things. Like you can go to school and you can learn all about autism and other developmental, um, issues and you can know it inside and out, but unless you are a parent to a child with autism or you have autism yourself, it's, it's, it's a vastly different experience. And so it's, it's frustrating at times because I'll, we'll still go to doctors and, and they'll word questions to my kids in ways that I know they're just not going to understand. And, and I have to reword it and then they can answer the question. Uh, and, and it is, it is, it is frustrating because I always tell parents like, you know, your kids better than anybody else does. You got to follow your gut. You got to trust your instincts. And if you think something's wrong, maybe something's wrong, you know, err on the side of caution. But I, I can totally relate because they, they tried the headphone things with with my youngest as well. And at that point in time, you, he couldn't, I mean, he was barely wearing clothes. It, it took us a long time oh. just to get him to tolerate clothing Uh, so it was, it was, it was very challenging. So I can, I can totally relate to that. Um,
1: and you try to strike a good balance between wanting to respect the doctors and nurses who are there to help you. But at the same time, if you feel like you're being ignored as the parent and, and that your, your experience with your child is being, is being swept under the rug just in favor of what they want to do, that can be pretty frustrating.
0: Yeah. And I and I you know I think it's and I guess I don't want to paint everybody is I think they mean well. It's just it's just autism is so complicated and and because everybody is so different there is no one approach that works for everyone. And and I think it's important that that doctors and therapists and and all the specialists involve the parents in what they're doing because the parents know their kids better. Than anyone else, and and maybe their kids are capable of something, but you're not approaching them in in the way that that sort of resonates with them. Uh, So I do think that's I think that's a really good point that you bring up. Um, Have you have you been deployed uh, since your son was born?
1: Not since he was born. I mean, I've traveled and I've had to be. uh, I was out of the country. I went to South America for a week. I had to travel uh, out of state for two weeks. So I've had to travel. Within within my job, but not any long term deployment.
0: How does he How does he handle that? He's
1: uh, one of the things about him is he's very very good with with separation. Even with the the fact that he and his mom are, or his mom and I are not together, he doesn't it, it, it doesn't bother him because it's he's still so young. And I don't think he certainly doesn't understand what that concept means of mommy and daddy don't live together anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's just so happy when he sees both of us because she's a, a fantastic parent. Absolutely uh, incredible. And he, he gets to do certain things with just us, but then other things we do together. Because we believe that it's important for him to see us together in certain experiences like uh, Christmas or his birthday. And it shouldn't just be, hey, dad showed up for an hour and, and gave you this present and now he leaves. No, we, we took him to Disney World for his birthday this past year
2: wow. because he was
1: old enough to, to understand what that was. It would be a different experience. And we really, really wanted him. We felt that, okay, five is old enough for a child to to get Disney World and really understand what Disney World is. I see people walking around with babies at Disney. I think these people are insane. <laughs> like it, it, it's, it's hard enough caring for an infant, but taking him to this environment, that's just crazy talk. But five years old is different. He can walk around. He can experience things. He's familiar with these characters and these things. He's seen these cartoons. So that's something that we felt was appropriate for the time.
0: You can make memories. And he had a
1: great time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he, he may or may not remember, but at the very least, it wasn't something where he was relying on us 100% like, to carry him all the time and to do everything. He was able to recognize stuff. Like when he saw Buzz Lightyear, he knows who Buzz Lightyear is. When he, th- or when he saw Mickey and Minnie, he knows who those people are because he's grown up with that. So we, we agreed, even when we separated, that it's important for us to do certain things together. But every time I see him, he's, just, he's so happy to see me. He's so happy to see his mom and it's and that makes us feel good the fact that he doesn't he doesn't say oh i don't want to go here i don't want to do this i want to do this he might not want to leave daddy's house because we're playing because daddy's house has lots of stuff for us to do right. but we always try to formulate it as hey we're going to go play at mommy's house or we're going to go do this and then he adjusts very well he 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 does very well at redirection so even if he is not wanting to do something he can be a, changed in
0: the direction we need him to go as parents. Uh, Well, I want to just make a point here because what, what um, you and his mom are doing is very, very important in my opinion. Uh, And not that my opinion matters, but so many times I'm going through a very, I'm going through a similar experience and uh, trying to navigate something like divorce with autistic kids is, or can be anyways, in my case, very, very challenging. Uh, my kids are older Uh and so they, they, they want information that they can't emotionally handle. And, um, you know, my two youngest are very advanced cognitively. So they're, you know, talking to them, it's, it's almost like you're talking to a grown up If you didn't know their age, you, it's, it's, it's very disconcerting. It's, it's very, um, it's very hard to navigate anything complicated with them because they want intellectually, they want more information than what emotionally they're able to deal with or should be dealing with. And uh, I think it's amazing how how you guys have um, sort of united in that approach to uh, making sure that your son comes first and 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 showing him a positive thing and 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 not having it, uh, be messy or ugly or, uh, full of anger and hate and stuff like that. Cause you see that a lot and that's really tough on kids. And so I, I just applaud you guys for, for approaching this the way that, that you do. And I know that that's not always easy. Um, but I, I think that's a, that's a great example for other people out there who are dealing with something similar. Uh, so, so thank you for, uh, for sharing that.
1: Well, I appreciate that. I mean, it still can be difficult sometimes because I don't I want him to look forward to going to see his mom because we don't have a set schedule that was another thing we were very adamant about when we separated was that we did not want to do one of these well I get him every other weekend and then you get him every other Christmas and I said no we're we're adults we can deal with that and and all and her job as a pediatric nurse who works nights she doesn't work every day her schedule is very random and so she she provides me her schedule, and so the nights that that she works, obviously I keep him, and I have to take him to school in the morning. And the military has been very, very accommodating with that. when When we got here, and when I checked into this command, that was one of the things I had to go over with them, is that this is our situation. My son's autistic, but his school doesn't start till nine a.m. So on the nights that I'm watching him, I'm going to be in late in the morning because I have to take him to school and then come into work. So I don't show up to work till almost 10 a.m. on those random days. Sometimes it can be one day out of the week. Other days, it can be three days in a row during the week. It, it, it literally varies week to week. But the difficult part comes, especially on the weekends or something like that, when it's time to take him to his mom or when she comes to pick him up and we have to stop daddy sometime. We have to stop playtime. Well, Sarah, let's go to mommy's house. And no, I don't want to go to mommy's house. And I feel awful when he says that. I feel terrible because I don't. I want him to look forward to being with his mom as much as he looks forward to being with me. I want it to be equal. And I know I can't force him to feel a certain way, but I I do my best to try to say, "Guy, we're gonna have so much fun at mommy's house. Let's go to mommy's house together." you know, daddy wants to go to mommy's house. Let's go over there and we can watch football. The things that he does have over at mommy's house that, that they do together a lot too. They watch a lot of sports together. Uh, he has different toys over there. So, oh, let's go play with X, Y, Z. Let's, let's go together. Instead of just formulating it as I'm just dropping you off. I gotta go. And, and, but that can still be very difficult because emotionally you want, you don't want him to associate one place as being better than the other.
0: Yeah. That's, uh, again I, I really think that you guys are doing an amazing job um with that you know in in my in my situation i have my, my kids live with me full-time and uh they visit their mom um and it's 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 difficult because my kids are upset about everything and uh they yeah. general they generalize everything and so they're they're very black and white which is something that we're really struggling with uh so in their view, you're either lying or you're telling the truth. And so when as adults we know that there are grown-up issues that um that are just for grown-ups to deal with. It's not for kids to deal with. Um, we're either telling them the truth or we're lying to them. There's there's no there's like no in-between and there's no gray areas. <laughs> and so it's 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 something yeah. that's very difficult to to navigate and, it, and it's but you know we've approached it the same way. You know I, I want them more than anything to have a happy, uh, a happy, healthy, productive, meaningful relationship with their mother because no matter what happened between her and I, uh, she's their mother, and that's never going to change. And she is a pivotal role in in their lives, and should be. And I will do whatever it takes to to help foster that and um, and support that. And and so you know, I it, it's really nice to see. Um, how how you're approaching that because I hear a lot of stories from other families where it's not that way. And it just, you know, I have a lot of respect for what you guys are doing. So, um,
1: I mean, having, having an autistic child is difficult enough. And especially whether you're married or divorced And and we just, we didn't think there was any reason to make that harder. We know those tough conversations are going to happen. Thankfully, I guess the silver lining is that he he is so young. And so he's not at that stage yet where he's gonna start seriously asking, Well, why don't you guys live together anymore? Why do I go why does daddy have a house? Why does mommy have a house? But we know that they're gonna come eventually. And and our hope is that this is his new normal. We have we have other friends who are divorced and they have kids and, and stuff like that. And that just that becomes this this has to become the normal for him. Mm-hmm. and and i think how as parents how you deal with that with them how you talk about the other parent how you talk mm-hmm. about the situation in general that affects their entire outlook not just on each other but on the situation itself i mean it, it doesn't have to be a, a negative thing divorce doesn't have to be a, a negative stigma it doesn't have to be looked at as a, a failure in any aspect it can just be hey we were together and, and and now we're not and that doesn't have to be a bad thing that doesn't reflect bad on the on the child, especially, because that's yeah. the, the tendency is they think they're they're blamed they did something wrong. but instead, how you talk about mom or how mom talks about dad that that can completely change their perspective and, and that's a very grown up conversation and And I would like to think in a lot of ways it makes them feel better because kids are really smart. they mm-hmm. I mean, especially autistic kids, they're smarter than people give them credit for. And so when you have grown up conversations with kids, it makes them feel better. It makes them feel like I'm, I'm growing, I'm developing because you're having these conversations with me. You're not just blowing me off. You're not treating me like a kid. You're, you're respecting me enough to tell me the truth about these things and not baby me. And, and especially when, when as they grow. And so being able to talk about something as sensitive as divorce with them in a realistic way mm-hmm. and, and making them understand that perspective, I think that can pay a lot of dividends down the road.
0: We just had to uh, I just had we had to have have a conversation in therapy with with my kids um, because we found out that they had they had felt that they were hated, and that's why their mom left. and they'd kept oh. that a secret. and so they in their minds, they're they're blaming themselves for everything. And so it became the lesser of two evils to, to have s- sort of a, a very simple matter of fact conversation, explaining to them, it, you know, the truth about what happened on, on a level that they can, they can understand, not because we want them to pick a side or anything like that, but because that's the only way that they they were going to understand that. Oh my gosh, it wasn't my fault this is what happened. Right. And, and so that it's, it, it, really is. It's so difficult to navigate with autistic kids. Uh, and so again, I, I really, I, I'm still feeling my way through this and, and, uh, I, I really, uh, respect what you guys are doing. And, and I think that I, I hope that everybody out there listening, who is going through a similar situation takes note of how you guys are handling that, because I think, um that's a that's a really good example of, of how to be good parents or co parents, I guess.
1: I mean the worst vice is advice. <laughs> so I would never <laughs> presume to give <laughs> anyone advice about being a parent. Uh because there are far too many people who take that stance of, well, I have a kid, so clearly I know everything about how to them. So let me tell you. But <laughs> but I would if if someone ever did ask me, I would say do your best to be on good terms with your ex spouse spouse however you want to look at it because at the end of the day this is somebody who at one time it may have been a long time ago but at one time you loved this person
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and that you have to remember that that you you guys loved each other so much that you created a life together
0: and your and child still loves that, them
1: right and you and you and and your view of that person should not affect the way your child views that person. absolutely exactly right Totally. And so, and I think that may be when they talk about how being a parent can be hard. Yeah, that's one of those hard things is that whatever the circumstances may have been of why you guys split up, you may have to swallow the things you want to say to that person that may not be so nice. But when you're together, you can't say those things.
2: Yeah. Because
1: your children are going to hear that and they're going to interpret that. And and the whole priority, I think you said this earlier, is everything becomes about them and everything is about. Caring for them, making sure they have a good upbringing, no matter what that takes. And that may take hey, being around someone who may not like you or you may not like them for a couple hours or a couple days for for, for various circumstances. Mm-hmm. But you're doing that for your child. You're doing that for their benefit. And you're
0: setting a good example. And that's...
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, you can't... There's there's. I mean, your logic is, in my view, very sound. And I, I really hope people listen to that. And and apply that in their lives if it's if it's uh, if it's applicable. I I was going to ask you how has how has being an autism parent impacted your life? Because you know we talk about it, it. I'm very transparent about my life, and so there are a lot of stressful things associated with being an autism parent. But I don't view autism parenting as a bad thing. Uh, to me, it's my kids are amazing human beings who I strive to live up to. <laughs> and, um, but there are other families who have very low functioning kids who can't feed themselves or can't, you know, talk or, or, you know, they have some serious challenges where it is a very difficult thing for them to deal with. And I guess I was just wondering how has this being an autism dad impacted you? I mean, do you find it stressful or, um, how do you, like, has it changed? Has it changed you in any way?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, it's very stressful because you have to be, even when you're dealing with it as just, hey, I, when he's with me, it's usually just with me and I'm taking care of him. And so you have to be everything mm-hmm. in that moment for them. You have to be, when we go out places, I have to be prepared. I have to have things that normally you wouldn't have to have for a 5-year-old. Mm-hmm. But I have to bring things with me that I know if he does get get too out of control or too, you know, too overloaded with stimulus or whatever, I have to bring things that I know will calm him down. And I have to be prepared with certain food because he can be very picky about things he eats. Mm-hmm. I don't mean a lot of kids to be that way, but you still have to be prepared for that. And and you have to know your child is is unique in that way and so whatever things they need you've got to be ready for that and then even at home okay he's a boy so he's full of energy <laughs> so all he so he wants to do a lot of things and he wants to do and and he has not just with his diagnosis but he can go off the rails if you don't kind of keep him okay we're going to do this activity and then that activity starts, and 30 seconds later he wants to do something else. 30 seconds later he wants to do something else. So keeping them on track, you have to be a very really involved parent. You can't just sit them down in front of a TV and say, "Here, watch this for the next hour because I'm going to go do something else." You have to constantly be involved, and that's how my son is with me, anyways. It's it's constant involvement. Even when we are watching television, we're acting out scenes because he's so he's so interested in the things he wants to, he does want to watch. He doesn't just want to sit there and watch them. He wants to interact, and so that involves me. So it's okay, Daddy. We're going to do this. So here you stand here, and I'll stand here, and you say this, and you say this. So <laughs> it's just it's go go go. It's, uh, I like to think he has two modes, on and off.
0: On and off. Yeah.
1: And and once he's uh, once he's awake, which is a lot of times at five in the morning because he doesn't he also doesn't sleep very well. He they initially told us that one of the other things he has are called sleep seizures. Where they're not traditional seizures, but they are just, it's something that happens in his brain that wakes him up in hmm. the middle of the night. And it's very similar to, uh, to the, the same kind of feeling of when, when you're asleep, and especially during, and then when sunlight comes in, that natural sunlight, that vitamin D, all of that, that naturally wakes your body up, your circadian rhythm, all the stuff that is, that's how you're supposed to rise hmm. and sleep. It's a natural cycle. So it's that same effect, but it happens in the middle of the night to his brain. And he can't go back to sleep. Same with us. Once you're up in the morning, your body's nope, this is time for you to function. So we're going to shut down these things, but these things are going to start going. So now you're awake. And that's him. But it happens at 2 in the morning. It happens at 3 in the morning. It happens at random times. And he will be completely awake. You can't just throw him back in his bed and say, lay here. Go to sleep. I'm going back to my bed because he's up. So he's, and, and he's also five years old. He doesn't understand like, why, why, why do I have to lay here in the dark and not do anything alone? I don't want to do that. I want to come and be with you and I want to play. So that can be frustrating because you can't explain all of that to them. You have to just, you have to adjust to it.
0: And you, and you need sleep <laughs> as a parent. Yes. I mean, yes, as, oh my gosh. sleep deprivation is one of the most common things that autism parents have, uh, I guess in common together and, mm-hmm. and, and sleep deprivation, man, I, I, I'm telling you if I can get a solid eight hours and, you know, even with like when my kids go to visit their mom and they're gone um, overnight, I'm so used to not being able to sleep at night that my body does not want to shut down. And then the opportunities oh. I have to sleep, I can't. And, uh, and that's really, that's really frustrating.
1: One of the things I'm trying to work toward, and it's a goal that I've made for this year is getting better at at making sure he sleeps on his own mm-hmm. because uh, some of the times when he comes into my room in the middle of the night, he'll just come into my room, crawl into my bed and lay there for a while. And sometimes he falls asleep, sometimes he doesn't. But he knows coming into daddy's room and coming into daddy's bed is is fine and he can do that. But I but he doesn't do that with his mother and he doesn't do that with his grandmother because they they were very, very strict and very good about nope, you don't come into my room. You don't come into my bed. You have your own room, your own bed, go back. And so he, he rarely does that with them. But with me, it's almost every night he will inevitably come into my room and try to sleep. And and the vast majority of the time, exactly for the reason you mentioned, I just let it go. Like just, okay, if you're going to lay here and be quiet, that's fine because daddy needs his sleep. And yeah. so if we're going to have a full day tomorrow, then whatever, at least you're quiet. But I, I, I also wonder if I'm doing long-term damage by, by kind of letting him use that as a crutch and and so I, I teeter between it's fine at least he's quiet he's resting and I get my rest or then hey, am, am I being selfish and not doing the things I need to do for what's best for him and keeping that consistency.
0: The Autism Dad is brought to you by AngelSense. Did you know that roughly 51% of kids with autism will wander from a place of safety uh, to a body of water, train tracks, uh, busy intersections, and other places of danger? Uh, This is not a sign of bad parenting or a bad child. It's a phenomenon that occurs within the autism community at epidemic levels. And unfortunately, a lot of times it ends in tragedy. The only way that you can truly Uh, help increase the odds of a safe recovery is immediate intervention. And AngelSense gives you the tools to do that. Um, We've been using it in my house since early 2019. And I really, really like it. Uh, You have so many options uh, with with AngelSense. You can track your child back and forth to school. You can set up perimeters uh, and barriers so that you're notified the moment your child enters or leaves a designated area. There's real uh, time tracking. There is two-way voice. There's SOS features. And what's really cool is when you talk to somebody at Angel Sense, you're talking to a parent of a child who wanders, so they get it. Uh, so if you want more information about Angel Sense, visit TheAutismDad.com forward slash AngelSense. That's TheAutismDad.com forward slash AngelSense, and you'll be directed for more information. It, it's sort of a... Um, oh, kind of a pick your battles kind of thing, because... My 11 year old, um, has, has really been struggling at night since his, his mom left. And there's nights where he'll, he'll sleep in his room. And then there's times that he just, he just can't, he still has nightmares and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he, uh, he, the goal was by January, he was going to be staying in his room all night long. And I mean, it's, it's tough to, uh, to sort of, I don't know. It feels wrong to me when he's in distress or he's unable to sleep and he finds comfort sleeping close to me. It, it, I feel like taking that away from him is cruel in a way. Uh, uh-huh. and so, and plus I'm so tired. I, I just don't, it's <laughs> it's just not worth the battle in the middle of the night. Cause by the time I, I were to get him back into his bed and go through that whole thing, I'd be, I'd be awake. And
1: and that's a, and, that, and that same logic is exactly what i've used in the past is saying yeah. you know he's still he's only he's five he's not going to want to do this forever and, and will i will i miss these moments when they're gone where he comes in where he comes into my bed and just randomly i mean even though it's two in the morning he crawls in my bed and says daddy i love you and then goes to back to sleep no. you know like that that makes me that makes as a dad that makes me go weak in the knees because it's just so adorable. <laughs> yeah. and, and I look at that situation and say, do I really want to give that up? Like, ah. Oh, but so I, I think in it's answer balance. to your question about challenges, yeah, I think that is a huge challenge. Picking those battles and deciding which ones are worth the fight and which ones should I be doing because they're going to benefit him in the long run.
0: Yeah. That's so tough to decide too because there, there are – It just really is like there are so many battles uh, or challenges in, in trying to figure out how to navigate them and, in, and making sure that it's either sustainable for you as a parent or in the best interest of your child, it's, it's sometimes that line is really blurry. And sometimes there just isn't a line anymore. (laughs) And it's, it's just, you know, you do what you can do and it's not going to be perfect. And you know, if it ends up being a problem, you deal with it, I guess. And, uh, yeah.
1: And, and nobody tells you which one is right and which one is wrong. Yeah.
0: And there's no, there's no, there's no parenting manual, you know, like you you can, when you have a, when you have a typical child, I mean, there's all kinds of books that you can read that give you advice on parenting. I don't know that I've ever seen one for parenting an autistic child and, and, and and there's just, you know, it's, you learn as you go and, it's not perfect and it's messy and you make mistakes, uh, but you just keep getting back up and you learn from them and you just, you're there to guide, um, your child is, as best you can. It's, I mean, anybody who judges you for that has never been in that position. I feel like because like, yeah, and
1: that may also be a, and that, and that may be a very difficult thing, especially for men, for dads. It can be difficult for us to admit we can't do something.
0: Yeah. And
1: especially when it comes to being a parent, it's difficult for us to look at that role and say, am I re- am I being a good dad right now, in this moment, in this situation? And, and even if the answer is, yeah, I am, but but then the follow-up and a logical follow-up can be, but could I be better? Is there something I could be doing that will make this better, or is everything rosy? I mean if you if we're looking at everything we're doing through those kind of tinted lenses then I think we're doing ourselves as dads a disservice instead of being critical of of our own roles and our own responsibilities but in a helpful way we're not just saying I'm doing everything wrong you're saying okay what what am I doing right but then what could I be doing better
0: yeah that's a really good that's a really good way to look at it because Uh, You know, so many times I I talk to people who, and I'm guilty of it myself, where dads especially have this, um, this irrational belief that they should be able to fix everything. And, Mm -hmm. and when they can't, because, you know, I mean, my kids don't need fixed, but when they're in pain or they are um, sad or heartbroken or or whatever. Like I I can't take that away from them. And I feel guilty about it. I I feel like it's a, it's a, it's a shortcoming on my part and it's irrational to think that way. But I think a lot of part of being a dad is irrationality. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) you just, you put, there's so much pressure that we put on ourselves and, uh, and it really is, it really is tough and we're only human and we're going to make mistakes. And I, I think it's, it's great to have examples like you, who who are open and honest and transparent, and um, and sort of embrace that for what it is, and and you know not afraid to to talk about it, and um, and it can and it's
1: it's antithetical in in our society, especially for for guys to admit that they can't do something or admit that they're not good at something, and I think not just as parents but as parents of autistic children, that's maybe the biggest hurdle for people to overcome is, is saying, I don't fully understand this thing, but I want to learn.
2: Yeah.
1: And and especially as we get older, we think that, well, I shouldn't be in the learning phase anymore. I'm I'm 40 years old or I'm 50 years old. I, I should be done learning about stuff. I should be the one teaching. I should be the one teaching my son how to do these things. And 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 we don't realize that we can do both. It mm-hmm. doesn't have to be a choice. I can learn every single day something new about how to handle my son and how to raise him better. And that's what I love about the ABA and how involved they keep me as a parent. And they give me things to do and make sure that I'm not just taking him home, we have playtime, we have dinner time, and then he goes to bed. It, it, you know That's great, but there needs to be more substance to our time together. And if I want him to be better as an individual and, and grow up with the skills that I want him to have, then I need to be more involved. I can't just take advantage of all the good times and take advantage of the relationship we have that is so close. Well, then I need to use that in the best way possible.
0: And, and, and you know, a lot of times, you know, we want, we want the world to be more accepting and uh, understanding, but we also have to be realistic. And I think that, um, you know, I've always taken a view that, you know, I wish my kids didn't have to adjust to people in in the world. I wish they could just be who they are sort of unabridged. Uh, But the reality is we all have to adapt to the world around us. I mean, the world isn't going to change to meet our needs. We have to adapt to meet their needs. And I, I, you know, I try very hard to not allow um, their diagnosis to sort of hinder me in, in that way because there's a lot of times where I'm like, oh man, like, it's so hard to tell sometimes what is within their control and what is outside of their control. And, you know, what's outside of their control, there's, I mean, it it just is what it is, you know? And, but, but there are things that that I think that that there are choices involved in some of the things that I, that I deal with, with my kids and, you know, helping guide them into making better choices or or helping them develop skills to handle uh, sensory overload better or handle um, stress or anxiety better because they're going to be facing that their entire life. You can't shield them from it as much as I want to shield my kids from everything. I have to help them uh, to, to, to reach their potential so that they can be a part of the world in the best way that they can. And And then
1: whether we know it or not, we end up, we end up learning from that as well.
0: Oh, my kids have taught me so much more than I've ever taught them.
2: Mm hmm.
0: Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I do have a question for you. Um, sure. Are you, are you one of those people who are really good at, at, you know, taking care of yourself like self-care type things, or do you find yourself kind of getting lost in the, you know, I got to put my kids first all the time. And, and even at my own personal expense, um, cause self-care is something I I'm, I'm very passionate about because I've, I've seen what happens when, when we forget to do that. Uh, and I was just wondering as a dad, you know, what do you do to take care of yourself to make sure that you are the best version of yourself for your son?
1: Oh, I'm, I'm OCD about not just taking care of myself, but physically and mentally. I mean, being in the military is an advantage because physical fitness is a must for us. Mm -hmm. So not just having a small boy who takes a lot of energy and a lot to deal with, uh, so staying in in good physical shape helps me deal with that because there is a lot of running around. There's a lot of play time. There's a lot of that stuff even after a full day of work. Then I come home, and if I have him that evening, okay, then then we still got to have our play time. I mm-hmm. can't just talk down on the couch and say, "Dad, Daddy's tired. I'm gonna just sit here. You go do whatever you want to do." Like, no, I want to be involved. I want to do that. And then uh, and then mentally, I want to keep up with him I want to stay sharp I want to be able to teach him things or be involved with things and one of the things that I started doing just a few months ago was I took up violin lessons Uh, really part of the reason part of the reason why I took it up was because one of the first video games he liked playing was Halo he he Mm. loved the visuals He, he liked that and so he started getting into it and I noticed that when we would play we would play together I would he would sit on my lap and he would try to move the controls and, and, and try to do the best he could. And he's gotten very, very good at that. But one of the things I noticed was he was humming along to the music. And then one day while we're listening to, uh, we were listening to music, and I asked Alexa to play the theme song. Mm-hmm. And the theme song is mostly violin and piano. And, and from that day on, he would ask for it all the time when we played. And he would sit there and hum along to it. He really liked that
0: piece of music. I still like that piece of music to be honest. <laughs> it's
1: beautiful. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I said, "Okay, this is clearly something that, that he's into and something that he likes. Okay, I, I want to l- let me get involved with this because not only could this be something that might help him later on, this might help me as a 40-year-old mm-hmm. keep myself sharp. Learning a new skill, learning an instrument, learning something like this can help me be better."
0: That that's that is so cool. Uh I mean, aside from being a fellow Halo fan, um, that that's such a really cool approach. Because someday you'll be able to play the Halo uh, theme song for him in in real life. Yeah,
1: that's my goal. Is to that's be able awesome. To play play that, or just or just get him into it. It might be a great way to introduce him to music.
0: Mm-hmm. I
2: mean,
1: he he loves music. He loves certain songs. He likes listening to certain songs and music. And, and this could be a way to say, well, you know, Jai. You can actually play that if you want. You can be the person who makes this music if you want to learn. And see, look, here's what daddy learned. To do, 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 and you show him, you lead by example.
0: Yeah. That's really good advice. Uh, and, and on that topic, um, I guess before we sort of close things out, what message do you have? Uh, well, I guess it'd be for any you know autism parents out there, but I guess specifically for military families out there who are maybe – um, suspecting that their child might be autistic and, and, you know, trying to figure out what to do and, and sort of how to navigate. Uh-huh. Do you have any advice, um,
1: absolutely for
0: uh, these families? My,
1: the best, the best advice would be don't wait. If, if you suspect your child may be on the spectrum, get call, try care. And, and it can be frustrating Child uh, care is great with with the amount of coverage they provide, but it it can sometimes be frustrating because there is so much red tape and so many hoops to jump through. But it's worth it to get to the end part, to get to the part where if your child does indeed get diagnosed as being on the spectrum, then the amount of benefits that will become available to you are are invaluable, and these are things that that will stay with him. His entire life, especially if you retire, if you if you spend 20 years in the military and you get retirement and you get all that, they, those benefits and those kinds of assistances will always be available to your child. And and so it's not anything that I think parents should wait to do, even if they're, one parent is deployed and the other parent is home with the children, there are resources available to help you whether it's TRICARE or other things like that, depending on their branch of service, but someone's always there. And you may have to ask a few people. Sometimes that information is easier to find than others, but it, it really is there. And, and what I, what i never like hearing, especially from people who are maybe younger, who had just gotten married in the military or weren't, weren't haven't been around as, as long, is they get frustrated very easily. And they, they think that the military can't help them or simply won't help them. and, that's not true. There, there are people there who really do care, and, and all that stuff is there for them. The military does go out of their way, especially to take care of families with special needs. And so those resources are there for a reason, and, and you should absolutely take advantage of them. Even if you just suspect that your child may, may have something, whatever it is, you as the parent know better than anyone else. And I would say there's no harm in asking those questions.
0: Very good advice, uh, Josh. I want to thank you again for your service uh, to our country, for one thing, and for being such thank a you. good dad, and and, uh, and and setting such a positive example for your son, um, and, and, and 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 being willing to share your story in such an open and honest and transparent way. I, I I really appreciate that. I I hope that it encourages other dads to open up because I think it's important that we have these conversations and uh I, I really i really do appreciate it i'm i'm just sort of amazed at, at all you've done and and uh who you are as a person and um again i i really thank you for taking the time to come on the show
1: and i and i appreciate i appreciate that and i appreciate you having having this forum i mean it it's as hard as it is you know as a parent i think having a place where specifically dads can go and say i i need somebody i can relate to it's it's one thing to say we're going to deal with this together whether the parents are married or divorced but as fathers it's great for us to have a resource that you've created not just articles that you have up there but podcasts the news that you post on twitter and social media knowing that hey what can i learn today and knowing that i can look to you as a resource and say well here this is a reliable source of information for me as the father of an autistic child i know that i can go here and find information that's going to make me better. So thank you for taking your time to do that every day.
0: Yeah. And if you ever need anything that I can help with, don't ever hesitate to, uh, to reach out. And I, I, I want to stay connected as as we go forward because I, I think I can learn a lot, a lot from you. So, uh, I I really, really appreciate your time, man. I hope you have a great, uh, I guess almost, almost weekend now. And, uh, (laughs) Almost, almost. Yeah. (laughs) I will, I will catch you later, man. Thanks again. Okay.
1: Sounds good, Rob. Thank you again.
0: All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. Before I close things out today, I just, I just wanted to take a minute and just say thank you for your service, Josh. I want to thank your family for the service and sacrifice that they've had to make as well uh, for our country uh, we wouldn't be here w- without you, and and it was an honor to have you on the show. Uh, I really appreciate you helping me better understand uh, what it's like for military families to navigate uh, life uh, raising a child with autism, uh, helping us understand how the system works within the military, uh, what services are available. So if there's anybody else out there who may be in a similar spot, uh, they have some idea of how to move forward. Um I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to come on as I'm as I'm thinking about this um, you and my grandpa would have gotten along really really well and it's it's really cool to sort of uh, be able to sort of merge those two parts of my life uh, in this today and, and so again just thank you very much um, I'll have Josh's information in the show notes below so you guys can can check it out and follow uh, him. Uh you, uh, you can find me at the My social links are at the top. Uh, you can support this podcast, uh, in the link in the show uh, notes below. Uh, you can also subscribe, uh, via any one of your favorite podcasting apps. Just look up the autism dad podcast, hit subscribe. I really appreciate that. I hope you guys have a great weekend. I'll talk to you next week. See you. Bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills, such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross trains motor movement, visual auditory and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games, Strengthened connections, allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com. That's K-I-N-U-U dot com. And be sure to use the code theAutismDAT at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.